Yes, yes, yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Blaze the Lion podcast. I am your host, Blaze, aka that dude, that guy who loves being a weirdo. Yeah, I'm a weirdo. I like standing out. I like being different. Embrace it. Embrace who you are. Why not? Why not? Why not? This is the Blaze Alliance podcast. Right now, we are live on Facebook and YouTube. So make sure you like, love, share, all that fun stuff, right? Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a damn friend. All right, the podcast is on live. Also, if you're enjoying the movement, if you love what you see, and you want more, and you want to be a part, we got you, all right? You can become a monthly contributor, right? And for as little as 99 cents per month, all right? You can be down with the squad. You can play a part in the movement, all right? There are three tiers, 99 cents, 4.99, and 9.99 per month. And you also, beyond just access to the podcast, you also get cool gear. You get Blazer Line t-shirts. You get wristbands. You get access to seminars, to webinars, to upcoming events on how to walk in your purpose and how to blaze, no pun intended, your purpose. All right. Find out what your personality is. All right. And take over the world. Yeah. Together. Me and you, me and you, right? We can change the world. We can actually make an impact on this world. All right. I love it. I love it. I love it. Tonight's guest. Hmm. I don't know about y'all, but I've been waiting. I've been patiently waiting for this guest. This is somebody who has definitely overcome adversity. Yes, she is a business owner. She is an entrepreneur. She has a servant heart. She's been serving. She's been giving back. She's also a book author. Hmm. She is walking in her purpose. As she should. Indeed, indeed. To the stage, let us give a round of applause, a welcome. You can scream, you can shout, you can stand up, whatever you feel led to do. Let us welcome tonight's guest, Sandra Marie Anderson. Welcome to the pod. Thank you so much, Blaze. Thank you so much. Books talk about as being a misfit, you know just being different and feeling so different and how it's it's really a positive it really is because we're so unique and uh, we're we're meant to be that way so thank you so much thank you for having me please no problem no problem thank you thank you all right so i gave my introduction brief okay. introduction about you but feel free introduce yourself to the audience let's tell them a little bit about yourself so I am a mother and a grandmother. Um, I work for the Florida Department of Health in Palm Beach County as your Maxi, I call it, uh, the Gardens Ministries International, which is a mentorship program. And I'm also a personal trainer and a fitness instructor for many, many years. And um, But one of my greatest is mentoring and uh, just serving, you know, whether I'm serving uh, my children, my grandchildren, or one of my mentees or, or my clients uh, through counseling. Um, I just absolutely love it. I'm in my last course at Liberty University, finishing my doctorate in community care, counseling, marriage, and family. 
family therapy. And so just absolutely love it. I'm so grateful to God. And thank you, and thank you again for having me, Blaze. Oh, no problem, no problem, no problem. Man, man. So first off, first off, first off, you are a grandmother? I couldn't tell. Look at that. Black don't crack, y'all. Hmm. I love that. I love that. I love that. Awesome indeed. Awesome indeed. So tell me a little bit about I what have you do on a day-to-day basis. You have what? I'm a very proud grandmother. I am 53 years old. And wow. I'm going to live to see 20, and here I am. Share with them a little bit of what you do in your day-to-day. So day-to-day, I work for the Florida Department of Health, working in personal training, fitness, or I'm counseling uh, my or coaching my, mentor, my mentees. And so, and then on top of all that, I'm studying, finishing up, like I said earlier, my last course. That's my day. Often very busy, but very fulfilling. And um, yeah, very much fulfilling for me. Mm. Yes, yes. See, there's a difference between just being busy and walking your purpose, right? Both of them can be a handful, right? But being busy just to stay busy or just to say that you're doing a lot versus actually being a blessing, actually serving, actually loving what you do for a living, uh, such a better reward. As you said, like so much more fulfilling when you're when you're hands on, mm-hmm. when you're passionate yes. about what you're doing, I love that. So stories, any stories on just what you deal with day to day, the ups and downs. Um, the I think the beauty blaze of what I do is I deal with those who are coming out of the same things that I went through. And so as a child, I went through um, childhood sexual abuse at seven years old at the hands of a stepfather. Um, I went through um, the heartache of a divorce from my parents. So my father was an alcoholic and my mother uh, worked a lot. And so we were raised by an amazing uh, woman, my sister, my eldest sister, Joyce. Um, she was really there to um, be our mother and our father when my my parents just couldn't be there. You know, life happens to each and every one of us. And we all have a story. Mm-hmm. But um, I deal with um, counseling and mentoring um, uh, a lot of um, individuals on trafficking. I went through sex trafficking at 11. And um, from there, you know, suicide attempts. And uh, not thinking I was going to live to see Edward's house. Edward was a white man that I was traffic it to on Fort Lauderdale Beach. I was on a circuit from uh, Fort Lauderdale to uh, Miami and then um, was pregnant at 13 years old. And um, by the time I was 15, I was already, um, you know, taking um, life in my own hands to try to end my life because I was so fed up with uh, with everything. So 
And then from there, uh, 16 years old, by the time I turned 16 years old, I was already a full, full-fledged crack um, addict. And then by the time I was 18 years old, I was arrested on, na on national television in a drug sting and a crack sting during the, the whole war on drugs um, era in our country. So I do a lot of counseling with things that I thought, first of all, that I was going to take to my grave. I said I would never going to talk about it because I didn't want to relive it. You know, after clean and sober, after having my children and uh, trying to educate myself and just trying to get my equal equilibrium about my life and, and pull my life together, I just wanted to take it all to the grave. I didn't want to talk about it. I just wanted to parent my kids and love my children because uh, they really gave me um, a sense of purpose and a reason for living. And then um, turn the turn of the 1990s, um, I started getting very ill, very sick, did not know what was going on with me. Um, back and forth to the hospital, they was doing a lot of blood work, Did not, still didn't know what was wrong with me. African-American woman, early 90s, I didn't fit the profile for AIDS and HIV. You know, it was, it, I just didn't fit the profile. So it took a little bit longer for them to realize that if a, if you have Carposi sarcoma, which is an opportunistic infection for those who have no immunity, and if you're having all these other issues that I was having, fatigue, um, swollen lip nodes, and um, other opportunistic infections, and after three times in the hospital, they just did not into an infectious disease uh, specialist. And I thank God that I did because I wouldn't be here if I didn't go blaze. And I'm so grateful for my doctor, Dr. Alberta Mess. I, I just wouldn't be here. If I didn't get tested for HIV, I would not be here. I would not have made it because I didn't have any immunity. And for so many of us, especially in our culture, because trust is something that doesn't come easy in a culture that has been so marginalized, so discriminated against. And you just feel like um, you are remissant. Um, we were just so ostracized and made to feel foreign in a country that we built and our ancestors built, you know? And mm -hmm. so, you know, spring forward, spring forward to um, the eighties and nineties at the uh, emergence of um, HIV and AIDS, you know, um, we're still in that distrust mode. So oftentimes it takes something detrimental to happen to us. But I was already seeking care because I was already working in nursing at that time. And I had no clue that uh, uh, even with nursing background, I had no clue that I, my life was in such jeopardy. And his grace is sufficient. It was nothing but Christ that saved my life. And um, to this to this very day, you know, I got it together. I um, He taught me how to eat right for my blood type. 28 years, almost 29 years my life and save my life because not only I uh, logically suppress um, do HIV, but I'm also um, living such a um, a level, a high level of um, a productivity and and um, a high level of energy and self healing. You know, it's it's healing ourselves. And when we're eating the wrong foods for our blood type, we're self poisoning. And so I I teach three dimensionally. I teach body, mind, right? We're not just the mind, we're just not our psychology or the, the, the makeup of that, but we're also um, we're also a spirit, right? And it's that broken, it's the brokenness of spirit that 
I have the honor and the, pr the privilege as a mentor to help heal, right? And, and I help heal the broken in every community, regardless of race and ethnicity, but predominantly so disproportionate spirit, because that's what it's been from the from the very beginning when we when we um, debarked the slave ships, when our ancestors got off those slave ships, there's been such a breaking of the spirit because um, with transgenerational trauma and understanding what transgenerational trauma is all about is just that we have a lot of unresolved grief and trauma in our families of origin. And until we understand that, until we're aware that we can't self-regulate, we healing and my wellness, my nutrition, right? And my family and my education. And that's what it's all about, you know? And so discovery of healing. Absolutely, absolutely. So listening to your story, one of the things that stood out to me was timing. Timing, the, the exact timing of what you endured, of what you experienced, what you went through, the timing of meeting up with the right doctors, the just the, the overall timing of just everything in your life, timing of when you began to actually heal, timing of you becoming a mother, like everything you said had a divine time. It and it was not by mistake. It was not by coincidence. What is that? It, it, wow. it was destined. Wow. Blaze, that's mind blowing what you just said. And even now you're just giving me a whole new uh, pers uh, perspective. You, you really are because it was timing. Even when my goddaughter and, um, I, and I love her like my, my, my daughter, but she, she joined the military and she went to, um, she was placed at Peterson's Air Force Base in, in uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado. And when you talk about timing, oh my gosh, Blaze, that was, oh, you have no clue how profound that is because when I was there, um, you know, when you go to, when you go through a lot of mental stress and mental illness, and, and by the way, mental illness in my, it, it, to me and from my own um, experience is unresolved grief and trauma. So you can't go through certain levels of trauma without dealing with some form of mental dis-ease because you mm -hmm. can't be at ease with a traumatic past that's unresolved, right? So when my goddaughter went to um, uh, Colorado Springs and she sent for me, she actually uh, sent for me and got my ticket and she said, I want you to come out here because Alicia was being born. That's my my second granddaughter. And I call um, her children my grandchildren because she's my goddaughter and I had a hand in raising her and I I couldn't love her more if I, if I gave birth to her. So, but anyway, Alicia was being born and I remember Blaze. Um, I've never been in Colorado before. I'm a Florida girl born in Tampa. And I remember hearing voices because like I said, you can't go through a traumatic, um, traumatic events where it's violence, where there's rape. And for me, it was sex trafficking at 11 years old. And it don't just, it's not just sex trafficking. When you hear sex trafficking, it's not just trafficking. Um, there's violent assaults that go along with that. So just know that without me having to tell you the details of that, 
violence goes along with that, okay? And so you can't go through that without having a certain level of emotional dysregulation and um, mental issues. And I remember being out there and by this time it was 2004, you know, I'm clean and sober. My kids are getting older and I'm, my, I'm virologically suppressed because, hey, I've been partnering with my doctor, making sure I take, I take my, my medication every day, which is my antiretroviral medication uh, that people who are HIV positive take. And I remember uh, her putting the kids to sleep after I would cuddle with them on the couch. And Blaze, I remember hearing a voice right over the overlay of the mountains. And when I say the overlay of the mountains is I would walk outside. She lived on the second floor of Peterson's Air Force Base because she was serving her country in the Air Force. And I remember hearing a voice saying, come up here, I'm waiting for you. And you mentioned timing, Blaze. Hmm. That the timing of that voice was three days after I got to Colorado. On that third day of visiting my goddaughter, Angela, and I heard this voice saying, come up, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting, I'm, I'm out, I'm up here waiting on you. And I needed to go and find out what that voice was. And Blaze, I uh, called my doctor on his 24 hour answer machine because I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna wait anymore. Because another thing that um, domestic violence, because I was also a victim of domestic violence during that time, and, and trauma does to you is it makes you very apathetic. Whenever you mm -hmm. feel hopeless, you, you become indifferent, right? You compromise. You know, that's a part of my book I call the ache of compromise because when we compromise, we transmit that to our children without knowing it because mm -hmm. we're staying in something that we need to get out of. And anytime, we're staying, anytime we're staying in a domestic violence situation and we're just, dealing with it for the sake of the children. And that's how I process that. Listen, uh, I had, I was dealing with so much during that time, but um, it helps you get past that apathy. And that day, that morning, when I called my, my physician, Dr. Mestri, I left a voicemail on his answer machine and I hung up the phone and I packed a small bag with water and nuts. That's it. Cause I said, come before daybreak, I'm gonna hike that mountain. The same mountain that I kept hearing that voice call me. And that mountain happened to be Pikes Peak in Colorado. Mm -hmm. And that morning when I got up, I told my goddaughter Angela, I said, baby, I'll be right back. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I said, I'm gonna, I have to go somewhere and I have to, I have to hike that mountain. And she was so worried and she was, um, she's like, oh my God, what is going on with my, what is going on with my godmother? Yeah. But I, I, I told her I had to go. And then by that time, my doctor called me back because I left a voicemail message on his phone telling him that, I needed to do something and I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't going crazy completely. And he said, Sandra, there's nothing wrong with you. He said, do, he says, live your life, follow your dreams and live your life. And when he said that to me, Blaze, it, it just furthered my, it just furthered this quantum leap that I felt was happening 
so deep within the, the cortex of my being that I needed to do this. And so um, I hung up the phone with my doctor and my, my goddaughter stopped me. She woke up her husband, made him get up out of bed and she made him climb, uh, to, he, he, she made him go with me. And I'm like, sweetie, don't worry about it. You know, I'll be fine. But it was not up for um, debate with her. She didn't want me to go by myself because again, it was my first time in Colorado. And long story short, two days, I was on that mountain, two days. And I got to the top, uh, 14,115 feet, the top mm -hmm. um, Pikes Peak, uh, which is one of the tallest mountains in El Paso County in, in um, Colorado. And when I got to the top of that mountain, I found the voice that was calling me. And we got to follow those inner voices. Sometimes it's not schizophrenia at all. Sometimes it's your unfinished business. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's unresolved grief and trauma that's that's trying to get your attention. Because remember, anytime you're, you're hearing things, and you're feeling like something's wrong with me, that's the disorganization that happens when we're trying to make meaning of trauma. And mm -hmm. my life was trying to make meaning of that trauma. And I liken it to computer files. Have you ever worked in, in a on a computer and you didn't save the file? And then mm -hmm. the file got lost because you didn't save it. So you didn't yeah. name it. Yeah. But under the age of nine, most of us, especially that goes through these hardcore mental, um, mental illness issues that manifest when stress rises within us, right? We don't even know how badly... We've been traumatized because we repress a lot. We repress. Yeah. We don't want to talk about it. Men and women, more so men, but I think it's I think it's gender gender neutral because we just repress and we suppress. Why? Because we have to. We have to get up and move it. Keep it moving. You know, we got bills to pay. We got things to take care of. Something Stay happens. We have shame that's attached to that. So we're not dealing with those things. And because you're not dealing with it, doesn't mean it's going away because stress is cumulative. And so for me in my life, I had repressed so much that I did not realize how traumatized I was and how the more stressed um, I started to face in my life, the more those things, issues start to come up. And back to that computer analogy, Whatever you don't name in your computer and you, your computer say it shuts down on you, right? What happens is um, you will not find it. So it's it's in there. It's in your computer, but it's disorganized in there. So you got to go searching for it. And that is what happens when we're so young, five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, 10 years old, and we're having these traumas. So whether it's our parents divorcing or fighting, which most of us have gone through, right? But a, a lot of us have gone through rejection. Father not there, mom not there, drug addiction in the family. Someone touched us. Um, we're more loyal to the family secrets than our own healing. So we mm. can't take that healing into the future because, hey, if daddy touched me or my uncle touched me, I, got, I can't talk about that. You know, I can't bring shame on the family. And I have, to, so I'm more loyal to those secrets of what happened to me in childhood than I am to my own self-actualization and my own healing, right? And my own progress. And so many of us get arrested in development.
because we're not dealing with what has happened to us. And I thank God, Blaze. I, I am so grateful to God because it's not me. So I don't want you looking at me as if, oh, look what Sandra did. Oh, she pulled herself together. You know what? I could tell you that I was teachable because I was brought up on a foundation by my sister Joyce to be teachable. I was brought up with discipline and she brought us up with God. You know, she taught us about Christ and taught us about Daniel in the lion's den, you know, and how God kept him safe and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, you know, and how Christ was the fourth man in the fire. You know, she taught us this at a young age. So my brain wired around those stories, right? So by the time all the storms started coming in my life from being raped at seven by my stepdad to being running away from home because it wasn't stopping, you know, he kept, it just kept going until I was 11. And then I, I just couldn't take it anymore. And I ran away, not knowing that there was other monsters out there. So back to the computer, we, when we don't listen, when we don't deal with these things, when we don't garner the courage and the strength to say, you know what, let me excavate, let me dig deep and find out how, what happened in my life affected me, especially mm -hmm. if I didn't go to counseling, and how often do we go to counseling in our culture, right? And most of the time it's because there's no, no one culturally competent enough to know how to handle the lived experience of such levels of trauma, especially historically um, and historically black trauma, the epistemic injustice of the black lived experience, you know, to the point when we can see someone getting lynched or we can see an Emmett Till, or we can see a George Floyd. Let's 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 just catapult this to to this time in this era right now. Yeah. When we can see a jo George F Floyd, this is a knee lynching in front of our face. So you see, this trauma is so egregious for us, and so and for everyone for that matter. But I'm just gonna, I just have to hone in that it's so disproportionately so in the African-American community. Why? Because of the lack of reparation, right? It has not been resolved. It has not been finished. This government has unfinished business with the black community, the same way Germany had fin business it had to finish with the Jewish community and the Native American community, right? And the Japanese community. The African-American community is the only community that we still have some unfinished business to do. And that is reparation. That is not a handout. It is earned wages from our ancestors the same way others are living on the earned wages of their ancestors. Even let's, let's talk about our former president, Trump. Trump did become a millionaire. He has old wealth and a lot of people have old wealth or old land or inheritance that's passed down from generations to generations even heirlooms that's passed down what has been passed down in the african-american community other than the epistemic injustice right the seen and not heard mentality of our families okay the way we discipline even the way we discipline our children is harsher why because we transmit that trauma to the next generation and we don't understand that that child has a voice 
that we need to listen to our children, not just be seen and not heard. Not when I'm talking, don't talk. And this harsh and abrasive way that we parent our children. So trauma will uh, be transmitted even in our parenting styles. So I'm going to take a breath and I'm going to go back to the analogy of this computer and I'm going to finish there and, and, and then we'll go from there. When you have a file on your computer and you didn't hit save and you didn't name the file, it will be lost on the hard drive of that computer. Mm-hmm. In other words, it will be disorganized. When we are traumatized below the age of nine years old, according to Dr. Paul Hexham, which is was my amazing, um, my amazing counselor and mentor who went home to be with the Lord uh, many years ago, who once told me, if you're teachable, it's fixable. And that's what Dr. Paul Hexham told uh, tell all of us that has been um, his um, clients. If you are teachable, it's fixable. And I had to be teachable to understand that my computer, my brain, my hard drive had a lot of disorganized files that I didn't name. Why didn't I name them? Because under the age of nine, we don't have language to name anything. You don't know what's happening when you're either being sodomized, okay, or being um, rejected uh, by a parent that's not there for whatever reason, whether it's incarceration or addiction, or you just wasn't there for whatever reason. We don't have language and whatever we don't have language to give, it will be filed, disorganized, right? Because we didn't name the file. You can't name certain files internally, right? Mentally, until you become from the age of directives, right? To the age of decision. What is the age of directives? The age of directives is when you have to be given direction. Did you make your bed? Okay, go back and brush your teeth. Okay, you didn't stay in the shower long enough. Okay, tie your shoes. That is the age of directives. That's when we need to be given direction um, because we're still in that childlike state. When something happens to us at that age and we get frozen in development and we get arrested in development at that stage, then oftentimes those mental files will be disorganized because we don't have language to be able to say, I'm going to file this rejection and I'm going to file it right here at this age and I'm going to save it. Now it's organized because it's safe. We we can't do that. There's There's no language to do that. And so with that being said, the age of decision is the age when we know to make our beds, right? We know that we need to brush our teeth. We know that we can make ourselves something to eat. We know to tie our shoes. It's the age when puberty happens, right? But with puberty comes the neoprenephrine, the dopamine, the serotonin, all the the um, the hormones that makes changes in the body, right? All those hormones that tells a, a boy that he's becoming a man, you know, you get the hair here, right? You're getting the mustache. You're, you're experiencing erections without even thinking about anything because your body is producing that testosterone. Girls, right? Females, we start to get our menstrual, right? We start to develop breasts and getting the hair under the arms. That's when those hormones start to, to start to pump in chemically in our body now I'm able to make meaning of things. And when I can make meaning, now I'm able to 
name that file, right? I can name this. I can say, oh, mom and dad, they're just, this is not about me. You know, this is about mom and dad and they're having issues. Or, you know what? My mom was an addict and, you know, she couldn't be with me because she's an addict, not because she's so much rejecting me or because she doesn't love me, but because she's an addict. You see, I can make meaning of that there. But under that age, at the age of directives, I can't make meaning of that because children internalize everything. Yeah. Everything is about me. That's just the way it is because the hormones are not in the brain. The chemicals have not been released in probity to help me make meaning of what's happening in my life. So as a child being raped at seven, it's my fault. Something I did was wrong, right? So so how does that manifest? Well, for me, it manifests. I stopped bathing, right? I want to smell bad, look bad, feel bad, act bad. Because I feel like if I did all those bad things, people will leave me the heck alone. Because trauma makes you want to isolate. And I, I did a lot of isolating because I was, I was um, so traumatized. And so when we understand all these dynamics, we can better make meaning of our world and, uh, and make meaning of people who are yet going through maybe mental uh, mental issues and um, and, you know, acting out. And when you see children, um, parents, teachers and anyone who is dealing with children, when you see children acting out, I, I need you to stop assuming that they're just bad. OK, mm. I need you to stop doing that. I need you to sit with that child and give that child unconditional love and unconditional positive regard. And maybe, just maybe if you do that, maybe they will open up that secret place where they did what I did. I promised that I would take those secrets to the grave. When I was, when I, when that happened to me at seven with my stepdaddy, I said, I wasn't going to tell nobody. I didn't want to tell my mom because he already told me that if I told my mom that he would hurt my mother and that what he was going to do to me. Well, I didn't really care what he said about me because I already felt dead. If anybody ever went through that type of trauma of being uh, abused as a child, that young in the way in which it happened, you kind of already feel dead inside. And I really did, but I care so much about my mom. So I did not want her to know. And matter of fact, blaze, I was, 44 years old, what I told my mom, what happened to me at seven years old. And the only reason I told her then, the only reason was because I was writing a book and I didn't want her to read it in a book. I was writing uh -huh. this book and I didn't want her to read it in this book. And I said, God, you asked me to write a book because I didn't want to write the book. I, I, I was just good living my life. Just happy to be clean and sober, to be honest with you. And then after being diagnosed with a CD4 of two and having AIDS, um, I was just happy and grateful to be alive. I was living in my car for a while because when I got out of a domestic violence situation, the threats kept coming because that's what happens when a lot of women like me and some men who leave domestic violence situations, you know, the threats keep coming. So I'm like, you, I'm like, I've learned to outrun every threat in my life. So I was living in my car for a while. And um, God told me um, I was going to write this book. You know, I was going to write lessons from the thorns, the lessons I've learned from these hard 
um, life experiences that I wouldn't wish on anyone, but I share my story and I give my life away. Um, when I said I never would, um, I said I never would because I didn't think anybody would want to hear such heartache, but also because it was the only only thing in my life that wasn't stolen, right? So all I had was the secrets, you know, all I had was this part of my privacy, my life, this, this thing, you know, and I said, no, I'm not giving this away. This is mine, you know, and they were my secrets. And God said, give them here, <laughs> give, mm -hmm. them, give them to me. And I need you to die to it. I need your ego to die. And I need you to give it away because I'm going to turn your beauty into ashes and I'm going to turn all the fear into strength. And I'm going to turn all that, all the tears into joy and fulfillment. And, and I got news for everyone that's listening to me. Um, if you know the Lord, you know, that's true. You know that he will do it. And if you don't know the Lord, I want you to try him because he, you know, he's not just a story, uh, ancient, um, of like ancient mythology. If my car has a creator, I have a Sonata and it has a creator. Okay. If my laptop has a creator, whether it's Apple or HP, they created it. And if something happens to my HP computer, I can't take it to Apple and vice versa. I have to take it to who created it because they know all about it. So if that has a computer, all those things I told you about, we have a, a creator as well. The problem with a lot of our society where we have such a lack of value, where we can just mistreat each other and um, senseless killing, senseless um, tyranny and greed in our society. It's because we think we don't have a creator. It's because we don't know that we're so fearfully and wonderfully made. It's because we don't know that we've been made in the very image of God. So we give more value to our car, right? Or our things, not understanding that just like every other creation that's just that we use every day from our computers to our cell phone, these things have a creator. They have a, a designer. They have a manufacturer. Absolutely. And, and so do we. And Absolutely. His, name, his name is Jehovah Jireh, Elohim, Yahshua Hamashiach, Christ. He has many names, but he's very real. He's very real. And he has shown himself to me time and time again when I was a homeless pregnant 13 year old on the beach and nowhere to go and didn't try again until, you know, after my baby was uh, taken from me uh, by, you know, by circumstance with her dad because I wanted to break up with him and because of his abusive ways. And that's the last time I tried to commit suicide. But when we understand who we are and whose we are. Suicide is not an option because we understand that we don't really want to commit suicide. We just want the pain to stop. And the only way to get the pain to stop is to do what God said in his word. He said, cast all your cares on me because I care so much for you. 
And if we just only just die, not via suicide, but die to the ego, die to that thing that makes us so angry, right? And so bitter, like you did this to me and I want them to pay, right, Blaze? How many times we, we, we do that and we go there? You did this to me, you know? I had to forgive. And it wasn't until I totally forgave. And I'm talking about my traffickers, my stepfather, Robert, um, Edward, which was the white man that I was sold to, uh, my children's father, who uh, I was a victim of domestic violence with. I had to forgive. And the Holy Spirit told me, until you forgive and totally forgive, because I died for them too. I didn't just die for you and all your agony and sorrow and misery and your pity party. I died for them too. And until you forgive everything, then you just have a form of godliness. Denying the power, denying the power, right? To really forgive, denying the understanding that that cross wasn't just meant for the righteous. <laughs> Because no one is righteous. The Bible says no, none does good. No, not one. So when we get it twisted, right? We have to understand that the same mercy and grace we want, the same forgiveness and, and love that we want, right? The same second chance. Oh, give me another chance, God. Forgive me, God. The same thing we want, we have to give to others on credit. On Absolutely. Really quick, I just want to bring the people in on the chat. Trauma. Tonight, Sandra spoke about trauma. All right. Dating back to our ancestors. All right. Trauma. And as she said, so many of us hold on to that trauma. We don't even act not, we don't even realize the reason how we are with our kids the way how we parent, the way how we analyze our triggers, all of that, so many of that stems from trauma. And we don't question why, but why are we doing this? What is behind this? What is the root cause? Same way how Sandra had to find out that eating for her blood type was gonna fix some of those health issues. Deep down, it wasn't putting a Band-Aid on top, right? But it was getting inside where it's uncomfortable, where it doesn't right. feel right. And in that chat, how many of us are still holding on to trauma? I'm being transparent. But what are we here for? We're here to, and this is where I am gonna bring you back in. We're here to deal with our trauma, right? And if that means forgiving somebody or forgiving a set of people, where the hurt, the fear, the revenge, things you've been holding on to for years, the bitterness, but as God's word said, that's been holding you back from levels that he has planned for you. So even in writing her book, with, I want her with, so, so I want her to now um, speak about just that, that whole process and how I'm sure that gave her release. I'm sure that gave her freedom, but we have to think about trauma in our lives and what have we been holding on to? What have we been 
ignoring and pretending like it's not really affecting us, but it is affecting us. And it's affecting so many people around us. So I just had to get that out just to get people to visualize that we too deal with it. So many of us. Oh, they already got the book. Look at that. <laughs> Thank you. Love Thank it. you, Sasha. Thank you, Sasha. But but Blaze, um, you know, I thank you for what you said because we don't realize it. First of all, Blaze, we don't realize it because we don't have a name. We don't have a name for it, right? I didn't have a name for what happened to me. And it wasn't until after I started to engage with counseling. And by the way, Blaze, like you said, transparency, listen, I didn't engage until my life was so broken, right? Mm -hmm. My life was so broken. Um, I had I had since went through a divorce after I got off the mountain in Colorado. I took back my life. I took back my power. But at the same time, there's levels to self-actualization. There's levels to what um, Bowen's theory, family theory, which is that's what I've subscribed to. That's what my dissertation is on. African-American women, transgenerational trauma and parenting styles. Right. I had to what's called self-differentiate because how many of us are still tied? Uh, we call it enmeshment in certain urban terms. We call it crab in the bucket syndrome. But in, in our terminology and psychology, we call it enmeshment. We are so enmeshed in our family systems where what goes on in this house stays in this house. And oftentimes it dies in this house. And when it dies in this house, it transfers the, the same energy. Remember, it's energy. We're all in energy flow, right? It transfers to the next generation. That's what happens. And instead of transferring trauma to your children, and, and, and please hear me, please hear me right now. You're not doing it on purpose. I adore my children. I love my children. But you know what? I had to apologize to my children because oftentimes parents cannot give what they do not possess. It's like me wanting to buy uh, my child a, um, um, a motorized car so bad when my son was young because he liked those little cars that that runs on batteries. I, I didn't have the money. I, I couldn't give it to him. I didn't possess it in the same way. I didn't possess that. I didn't possess certain levels of patience. Right. I didn't possess self-awareness to know, okay, why am I reacting like this? Why am I not even thinking? I'm just reacting. And that becomes our default switch, right? We have to pull back and become teachable. And the only way to do that is to, is to annihilate your ego. You have to annihilate it. Don't even play with it. Annihilate, annihilate it. You won't die, you will live. I did it many years ago. I'm still alive. I'm good. But what happens when the ego dies? It becomes like a seed. If you have a seed, Blaze, and you hold on to it in your hand, right? What happens to that seed? Can it can it give can it become a tree and nope. feed other people? No. Nope. Right? But when you hold on to that, it dies in your hand. But when your ego dies to your pain, your trauma, your unforgiveness, you know, your self-pity, your um, this happened to me and I don't like that it happened to me. What happens is 
until I allowed it to die, until I allowed that self-pity in me to die, that this happened to me. And why is all of this stuff happening to me? Why me? I had to let all of that go and say, God, why not me? And you know what else? There's somebody else that's going through worse than me that I need to pray for. So if I'm so self-centered, I am no good for anybody. But as soon as I learned to die, three things happened. The first thing, about a year into my sobriety, Blaze, I started having uh, what we call in the, in the drug addiction culture, jonesing, right? We start jonesing for that drug, right? I was a crack cocaine addict. And I said, wait a minute, it's been over a year. Why am I feeling like I want to get high again? What is going on in me that I feel like I want to taste that crack pipe again, right? And I couldn't use the excuse of domestic violence at that time because usually what I would do as soon as I would get into a fight with my, with my children's father, my ex-husband, I would say, okay, he hit me. That gives me an excuse. I'm going to go get high and drunk. Yep. And I would wait for the opportunity for something bad to happen in my life to use it as an excuse, right? Wow. Go out and get high and drunk. That's not what I wanted, but I had to keep it real close to me as like this cushion for my self-pity. It was all self-pity. Anytime we want to go out and do something that we know is detrimental to our own well-being, for whatever reason, our emotions can't handle whatever stress is going on in our life, that self-pity. I'll tell you what happened. I started to fight in my bathroom because the bathroom was the place I'd often got high in my home. After a year, if anybody knows anything about forensics and about chemical dependency or about drug testing, that chemical is no longer in your body, right? It was no longer in my body. You can do a DNA strand on my hair or I can do a test with my blood or urine, that drug was no longer in my body after, it was, matter of fact, Blaze, it was over a year. So why then am I feeling like I wanna get high? You're not gonna find the literature for this, but I put it in my book because this is what the Holy Spirit gave to me. The Holy Spirit came to me that day. I felt like I wanted to get high. And if you've ever been an addict, you're great at hiding things. Not so much from other people, but from yourself, right? Because it's such a self-deceiving um, uh, career. I call it a drug, my drug career. I hit a crack pipe in an old Converse tennis shoe in the back of my closet. It's like, you remember those, that old saying, breaking in, in case of emergency? You know, yeah. even though I know I wanted to be clean and sober, I wanted to be present and a conscious parent to my children who was still a relatively young at that time. I wanted all of this and I was pursuing my education by the, uh, by the way, at this time, I was pursuing it after dropping out of school in sixth grade uh, because of what was happening to me as a child with my stepdad. So here I am fast forward. I'm feeling like I want to get high. I remember I have a tennis shoe in the back of the closet with a crack pipe in it. Anybody I didn't know anything about crack pipes? Uh, when you smoke, there's always residue in the stem. All you need is a little fire and boom, you got your first hit to take you back on the crazy train again, because that's what happens. And I remember 
that day, going into my bathroom, remembering that crap pipe. I went in the closet and I got the crap pipe out of the closet. I went in my bathroom. Mind you, it's been a year. And I remember holding it. And as I was holding it, I felt something say, you deserve to get high. You deserve it. Look what happened to you. It wasn't me because by this time I'm in the church. I gave my life to Christ. I'm working. I'm working two jobs. I'm raising my kids. I'm clean and sober over a year. Why is this happening now? And the Holy Spirit said, I need you to listen to me very carefully. This is, this is what the Holy Spirit said to me. The Holy Spirit said, listen to me. Addiction can no longer afford you. You have been brought with a price, so it can no longer afford you. So let me tell you what you need to do. What's calling you is not the drug. It's property that you took and that you're keeping, not the crack pipe. It wasn't the crack pipe in the tennis shoe, which by the way, I did not light. I just had it in the bathroom and the Holy Spirit is talking to me. So it's me, the Holy Spirit in the crack pipe. And I hear the Holy Spirit saying, Addiction can no longer afford you. See, your life has been preserved and you've been saved and you've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And now I'm going to give you a testimony. What's keeping that calling is when you have somebody's property, they have the right to come and get it. So Blaze, right now, if I take your microphone and your headset and I bring it to my house, you have a right by law to come to my door, knock on the door and say, Sandra, you got my microphone, my headphone, and you got that awesome, cool picture of fire. But you got that in your house. I want it. Am I right or wrong? Yeah. By law, you have the right to do that. Well, same thing happens in spiritual law. You see, I had the self-pity I've been talking about, the unforgiveness I was talking about. And I had this space in my heart where truth and justice never came. So nobody was ever arrested that I know of, Edward, the two African-American men that assaulted me first before selling me to him, they were never arrested. This man that had been putting his hands on me, that told me he loved me, that was my husband and my children's father, never was brought to justice. So whenever there's injustices, there's this hole there that needs something to fill it. Oftentimes it's self-pity that fills it. The Holy Spirit says you have property that don't belong to you. It belongs to the devil. So I don't want to demonize everything because everything is not the devil. We have choices that we have to make for our own life that has nothing to do with the devil. Also, God says that you cannot serve God and mammon. He didn't say God and the devil. Mammon is money. So greed is really the root of evil. Satan is just uh, entity that will be destroyed at the end of time and he will come to tempt us because the Bible says he seeks to kill, steal, and destroy, but only when he can tempt you with what you already want. So the devil can't really tempt you with something you don't want. It's right. your own lust that drives you there, right? So that day, the Holy Spirit told me, you got to give back the property that you took from your trauma history. So in trauma, a lot of addicts, a lot of people that's dying in addiction, a lot of people that's out prostituting and pimping and all the stuff that this culture have introduced to my life, we come away with the spoils, right? Of that 
that kingdom of addiction, that kingdom of trauma, because it is that. It becomes a kingdom in our life that we bow at its altar and we assume its position of self-pity, self-guilt, self-loathing, addiction, cutting, right? Listen, the Holy Spirit said, wherever you have someone else's property, they have the right to come get it. You're only jonesing, not because it's in your body, it's been over a year, but you have its property. You have to give back the property. And until you give up the property, it will always come and call to you. It'll be 10 years later. That's why a lot of people in AA will stand up after 10 years of sobriety and say, hello, my name is Adam and I'm an addict. Listen, I'm not an addict. I gave back the property of unforgiveness, of self-pity, of waiting for justice, of sitting back, looking through uh, the, the, the window, of looking at the person that hurt me and looking at the, um, the lethal injection going through their vein as if that's gonna change anything because of what they've done to me. Sitting back waiting for justice to happen when Christ already paid it all, not just for what happened to you, but what happened to them that made them do to you what they did to you. Hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And we have to understand that. And until we understand that, we will keep thinking it's about us. And we will keep internalizing it and personalizing it when this amazing author by the name of Don Miguel Louise, he said it best. He said, take nothing personal. Don Miguel Ruiz. He said, take nothing personal. Take nothing personal. What happened to me was not personal. It was done by people who was hurt because only hurt people can hurt people the way they hurt people. Mm. And it's up to us to say it stops with me. I know so many people who have um, that I now counsel that's HIV positive. Let's go there for a second. How many accounts have you heard on the news where they say, man, somebody gave me this virus. I'm going to go give it to somebody. OMG. Oh, my God. Let me tell you something. You stop your own growth, your own destiny, your own meaning for coming to this planet at this time. You stop it and you self-sabotage your own joy and contentment when you don't let go. And when you take everything personal, when all roads lead to you because of what happened to you, you have to die to that. And when I died to it, Blaze, let me tell you what came in return. When I gave it all to God that day, the first thing that came was after the Holy Spirit told me to give back the property and I gave it up that right then and there, I said, God, I forgive. I forgive my traffickers. I forgive my stepfather. I forgive everyone on credit. You don't even have to ask me. Soon as I think you've done something to me, you pull off in front of me, you slap me, you spit on me, you do whatever. I've already forgiven you on, on credit. That's when you know you're dead to your ego. When you can really say, I forgive you on credit. You don't even have to ask. That's the first thing that happened. Second thing that happened is I walked to my backyard that day. Matter of fact, within those moments, and I threw the crack pipe away with the rest of the garbage and I never relapsed again. Not only did I not relapse and I held on to that year of sobriety I already gained, but 
it never called to me again because it had nothing to call to. You see, when you give it all away and you follow the manufacturer's prescription for casting all your cares on the Lord because he cares so much for you, when you follow that, remember, he made us. You don't put, like Dr. Miles Monroe say, orange juice in your car, would you? You would never put orange juice in your car tank for fuel because you know it's going to ruin your engine. You're going to put fuel in your car because fuel is supposed to go in the car. I don't care if I don't like it. That's the way the manufacturer created the car. So God created us with specific, excuse me, with specificities. The creator created us understanding everything about us and everything that would happen to us. So when he says forgive, when he says cast all your cares on him because he cares so much for you, he knows, he knows what's going to happen, the underlying impact of what's going to happen. He knows that you're about to be set free, that you're about to get a joy that's going to take the place of all that heartache. And it's an unspeakable joy that the world didn't give you and the world cannot take away from you. He knows that. But we blaze. We got to give it. We got to give it all. We got to give it all. It's like the Jones family. I don't know if you ever heard that song from the Jones family. He wants it all. And when we when we give it all to him and just seek to know him, learn of him for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Oh my God, the joy that fills you, the joy that knowing if I take my last breath right now, it's okay. It's okay because he promises me eternity beyond this world of thorns and tears. He promised me even right now, heaven on earth. So even after an HIV diagnosis, I have my children. I can have another child right now if I want to because I'm healthy. I am virologically suppressed so I can't pass the virus. I can have a wonderful monogamous sex right now with my partner because it's just us without fear of passing this virus because I'm virologically suppressed and because you equals you, it really does, which means I'm undetectable, which means it's untransmittable. And also, if my partner so chooses to use PrEP, that's an added, that's an added barrier. So I will never pass this virus. So to finish up that, that thought, I want you to know, because there's a lot of women and men that feels they're devalued with an HIV diagnosis. Let me tell you something. I can take a hundred dollar bill right now. And this is what I heard T.D. Jakes and Miles Moreau say. I can crumble it up. How much is it worth? hundred dollars. I can step on it. How much is it worth? A hundred dollars, no matter what I yeah. do. See, we have been so wonderfully and fearfully made in the eyes of our savior. He made us and we're made in his image. There's nothing you can do to us that will detract our human value as a human being. So despite the lies that African-American people have been told of being one third human or different or minority or subservient, you know, or less than, those are all lies. You see, 
no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what, you are more valuable than all the stars in the sky, than all the galaxies that's ever been formed and created by our creator. And nothing, not an HIV diagnosis, not trauma, not scarring, not anything will be able to separate you from the value that God created you with because nothing can separate us from the love of our father and our savior Christ. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Wow, Sandra, thank you so much for, <laughs> for everything, for sharing, for, for being bold, for, for being honest, for being transparent, for allowing the Holy Spirit to even speak to you and speak through you to, to touch so many of us. Wow, wow, wow thank and you. wow. Um, leading into this portion of our of our episode of the podcast, many of those watching, we talk about colors. Yes. So in this section, I will say a random color. And what I would like you to do is just to say the first thing that comes to your mind. It could be a word. It could be a quote, anything like that. We'll go through a couple colors and there is no right or wrong answer. All right. As I said before, some guests, I have said the color brown and some have said chocolate and some have said poop. There is no right or wrong answer. It's just whatever you see. It can be deep and spiritual or it can be, you know, pretty vague and pretty physical. So are you ready? All right. Here we go. Color number one. Blue. I'm hearing sky. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. Color number two. Green. Forest. Forest. All right. My favorite. Yellow. <laughs> um, sunshine. Okay. Let's go into orange. Um, joy. Okay. Let's go into the color black. Um, Ronnie's favorite color. Okay. Let's go into the color brown. Uh, brown is um, uh, sand. Hmm. Okay. I haven't heard that one yet. All right. We're gonna go into three more colors. Here we go. Gray. Life. Mm. Mm. Okay. Along that same sort of color scheme, silver. Clouds. Mm. Okay. Still going with that similar theme. Gold. My favorite color. Hey, hey, there we go. Two more colors. Red. Um, blood of Christ that was shed for me on the cross for all mm. of us. Mm. Powerful, powerful. 
And final color, <laughs> which I always seem to save for last. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a powerful color. So nonetheless, final color is purple. Purple. Royalty of women, especially women, because we are the we are the soil of society. We grow what you put in us. We will grow it. We're the rich, deep soil and purple. I think of a beautiful, strong and powerful women, um, uh, women that I work with uh, on the front lines of what we do in counseling. Um, I don't want to start calling names because I will. I don't want to miss anyone, but I, their names is right in front of my face. I actually did a um, an event with them yesterday on prep for women, being for women too. So, yeah, it's I think of uh, royalty of women, the the regalness and royalty of every single woman from Timbuktu to India to Africa, you know, to Australia and, and Asia and all over the world, you know. And here, I just women and the value, the wonderful value of women. Amen. Amen. I love that. I love that. So with such a powerful story, such a powerful testimony that many have appreciated, that you have sparked so much things in people, you've given them aha moments, you've given them realization, you've reminded them of their purpose, of their worth, that they are not finished, that they should not quit, that they should keep going, and that whatever they are going through is not in vain, is never in vain. There's still more, there's still more for them to do, and there's power in forgiveness, there's power in release, and there's power in sharing their experiences. Absolutely, absolutely. In closing, how can they reach you? How can they find your book? So I can be reached at uh, my name, sandramariaanderson.com. And if you could just go there, you can reach me via email. You can see videos. You can order the book. Uh, we have quite a few tes uh, testimonials there. Also, we're just finishing a film. Uh, the film is um, on sex trafficking. Um, uh, we have a premiere that's coming up this summer. But you can watch the trailer. And the trailer is Taking Innocence Project. Um, you can see that on Facebook and our wonderful producer and uh, filmmakers, Nisi and Tanika, um, are spearheading that amazing project. But it's with um, Angel um, Carter, who was a woman who lost her daughter um, to sex trafficking. Um, her daughter was 18. She's been my beautiful mentee for uh, three years now. Um, I also mentor um, so many other men and women who've gone through um, similar things that I've gone through. So definitely go to that website, Take an Innocence Project. Um, you will see- Takinginnocenceproject.com? Um, it's called, um, called Take an Innocence Project, Facebook and Instagram. Okay. So you okay. will just type it into your Facebook browser, you will see it and then uh, scroll down till you find the, the trailer and you can actually see the trailer. It's gonna be, um, I, I, I tell you what, it's it's remarkable what um, our producers Anisi and Tanika has done with that film. It's absolutely 
absolutely remarkable. And it's, it's kind of hard to watch for some people because it's very real. But um, I think it's going to help uh, change our world because this is happening every single day. Every day um, there are boys, girls, and women that are being trafficked on the black market. Um, every day um, we're dealing with the need to have a second rescue to repair the broken spirit um, of victims um, who've, who, who we're rescuing out of trafficking. The Elite Foundation, also type that into your browser. These people are amazing. If you want an organization to give to and to support, Elite Foundation with Dr. Jessica Vera is the foundation that you will be blessed for. And I, I just believe there's a special place in heaven for the Elite Foundation staff and uh, Dr. Jess uh, Dr. Um, Jessica Vera and what she's doing because they are on the front lines of rescuing boys and girls and women from trafficking. You can call them right now and find someone on the line that will be there to support you and be there for you. And then people like me on the other side who uh, self-disclose and share our stories, but also have gotten educated to counsel, um, to counsel and help you uh, through the aftermath of trauma. So whether that's sex trafficking or or rape or any type of victimization, we're there. We're there for you. So we are what you call Isaiah sixty one in the flesh. So we come to uh, bind up the the wounds of the brokenhearted, to preach the good news of the gospel, and to set the captives free. I I once was a captive not in prison, even though I had a felony charge as a, as a kid who was arrested on national TV in a drug sting, but I was in my own prison because that's what trauma does to us. It puts us in a self-imposed prison. And I thank God that his love, his grace, his mercy saw fit to not allow me to die where I could have died so many times, but he allowed me to live and to tell my story. And that's how we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Amen. Amen. I am, I am so grateful for you and your book. How can they get your book? Um, you can get my book at sandramariaanderson.com. You, um, you go there. You can just click order. When you order, I will see your name and I will sign your book for you. And I will see your address because you need that. And then I will, Get your book mailed to you. Very um, um, next day. So sandramariaanderson.com. And you can also reach me and connect with me there as well. And also, I have the honor and privilege to work for the Florida Department of Health here in Palm Beach County um, with the amazing, amazing, amazing human beings. Uh, my my HIV prevention uh, colleagues, um, uh, Robert Scott. Fabian, Fabiana, um, Brittany, Samuel, all of us, Marvel, um, Julia, we care. We are there for you. If you need us, um, we want you to get tested. So as you see, we work in a lot of different, we have a lot of different arms uh, from HIV to sex trafficking and all these other um, social determinants, but we want you to get tested. We want you to know your, we want you to know your status. And we're there for you. We don't just want you to know we're there. And there's this program that I started. It's called Roar. I don't know if you can see my shirt. This is a psychoeducational program that we have started in Palm Beach County. 
And what it is, is an eight week course where if you want to join in, you can join It's a free course, eight weeks. Um, you will get a certificate of completion once you're done. And um, there's some other goodies that we're giving out for that. And then we're going to also have a graduation ceremony um, either annually or biannually, you know, so just get, contact me. I'll give you the details. Um, you can reach me at Sandra.Anderson at flhealth.gov. That is my, um, my, my HIV prevention um, email. Again, Sandra.Anderson at flhealth.gov. And, and if you want to reach me with Love Gardens um, Ministries International, and that's my counseling and mentorship um, foundation, it's my SandraMariaAnderson.com um, website. And I just want to thank you. If you stayed on with us and um, to the end, I want to thank you. Um, first of all, I want to thank you, Blaze, for having me and for allowing me to share a story that I swore I was going to take to my grave. But, you know, mercy said no. God's love said no. And um, his grace said, I'm, I'm sufficient for you. And then I just want to thank the, the listeners that's been with us. I hope that you know that no matter what you've gone through, that you're so loved and that the best is yet to come for you. You know, having an, an, an AIDS diagnosis uh, 30, 28 years ago, one can pretty much think their life is over because at that time, the drugs were different than they were now. I had three drugs, Combrevir, uh, Reatazin, and Viracep. Those were very hard, heavy drugs, but they're different now. The drugs are different. I'm on a one pill a day regimen that I take every day, no skips, uh, because that's what um, I work with my doctor to get adherent and to have optimal adherence. You know, know your status. Take care of you. There's only one you. And just know that no matter whether you have a di AIDS diagnosis, HIV diagnosis or not, your life is just beginning. It's just beginning. Take my word for it. Trust me. No matter what you're going through, there's nowhere God's grace cannot reach. If it reached me, it will reach you. He's just that, that wonderful. He's just that wonderful. Thank you, Blaze. Amen, amen. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sandra. Um, wow. Wow is the word of the night because, wow, wow. Powerful is even an understatement. Thank you so much for sharing your time, for, again, sharing your testimony. And renouncing your ego, being able to be set free and sharing that freedom with yes. so many of us here. With this podcast, people will also be able to watch the replay. So beyond the live audience here, people can always go back to YouTube, the Blaze Alliance podcast, and to Facebook and watch the replay. Also, if you would like to listen to the audio and you're not really on social media, the audio of this same episode will be available tomorrow on all streaming platforms from your Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Spotify, and all of that. And please share, man. Subscribe and share, man. It's stories like these. I provided this, this platform. And let me change that. God gave me the vision to create this platform, not for me to be in front of the camera every week, even though I love the camera. And it's not just for me to bring on people <laughs> for them to advertise their, their business, even though that does happen. 
But this platform was created, right, purposely by God to impact lives, to give people that knock on the door for them to realize, for them to visualize their purpose, for them to realize why they're here on earth, for them to embrace it, for them to love themselves, right? Love selves so, so that they're able to love others, for them to find God, for them to change their eating habits. So much and so much and so much. So this platform, feel free to share it, man. Tell your friends, tell your coworkers, tell your family. You just never know who it'll impact. And especially if you were touched tonight like I was, why would you hold on to that? Why would you keep close to you that information, that power, man? Share that power with others so that they can learn, so that they can be healed, so that they can be prompted and they can share and we can continue in this circle of empowering others, right? We only have one life here. So let's live it to the fullest and let's not hold back. Let's actually manifest and let's actually walk in it and embrace it in its entirety. Amen, amen. And if anybody lives in the Palm Beach County area and you don't know your status and you don't, you're just not sure, or you do know your status and you've been out of care, listen, we have the best we have the best partners from Monarch Health Services to Triple H Ministries, Father Outreach, uh, Destiny by Choice with Dr. Thicklin. We have so many amazing people who are not just doing a job. By the way, this is not just a job for us, Blaze. I don't punch out. I tell people, uh, um, I tell my supervisor, Rob, and others on my, um, that's, uh, that's a part of our team. There's no punching out for us. We care so much. This is not about a paycheck. We know money is important and we know we have bills to pay, but you have to do something in your life that expands, that, that just expands beyond um, that um, extrinsic value, right? Um, we have to have that intrinsic value for human beings, for human lives. And it's, 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 it's not enough to just go to work and go home and, and just be done and just, and just detach. Not until we end this HIV epidemic will I ever punch out. And I tell myself over, I'll work my way out of a job blaze. I'm going to go to Alaska and I'm going to go fishing under, under the Aurora Borealis. I'm going fishing, but not until it happens. And so with that being said, um, I will not stop and we won't stop until there's not one more person that's dying from something that's treatable and preventable. And so we're causing our own suffering, okay, when we're not taking the reins of our life and taking responsibility for our own health and wellness. And like you said, Blaze, you became a personal trainer. You're in the business to, to take help people take care of their, their life. You're doing what you're doing right now on this platform. You are a change agent. You know, you're a difference maker. And so people like you and then people, like I said, that we have on the front lines that's there for you. You know, s- sexual um, health is important. And, and especially in the day of COVID-19 right now, we know that a lot of us are disturbing out and disturbs our short-term energy relieving behaviors. Those behaviors, including overeating, sexing, um, risky sex, sexual behaviors, right? These things happen we don't, when we don't know what to do with the energy right? Shopping, don't need anything, eating, like I said, smoking, um, excessive drinking. These are STURBS, uh, what the uh, grief recovery method calls STURBS um, with Russell and Friedman. No, 
all your stirbs, self-regulate, you know, you can do this. Contact me if you need help. We're here to we're here to help you. And we have a lot of great community partners that's here for you. So you're not alone. You're not alone. Reach out. We got you. We got you. Definitely, definitely. We got you. Thank you again, Sandra. So much, My so pleasure. much. I am, I am grateful. Audience, you are listening to the Blaze the Lion podcast. Thank you all. Thank you all for just following the movement, for just being loyal, for just being partners, because all of you are partners in this movement and what we do. Peace and love you all. Enjoy the rest of your night. And we're not stopping. I'm not stopping. Sandra's not stopping. No. <laughs> and you're not stopping either. Let's keep going. Peace and love, y'all. Love Bless. you, Blake. Thank you.